Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. From Postcard from the Past and Wardour Studios, this is Podcast from the Past, the Postcard Podcast. This is the podcast where we consider unnaturally blue skies, car parks in front of cathedrals and grinning, oversized, good luck cats as we discover the picture postcards brought in by my guests and together we explore what it was that caused them to keep hold of these little ephemeral cardboard oblongs. Now, as I say, each time I welcome two guests, and it's their postcards that act as tiny prompts to send us rushing towards memories, mysteries and stories. I'm Tom Jackson, and I'm delighted to say that today my guests are children's author Jonathan Mears and artist Lisa Adamchevsky. Jonathan and Lisa, welcome to Podcast from the Past. Thank you, Tom. Hello, hello, hello. Now... Jonathan Mears uh, might first have impressed himself upon your consciousness as a Perrier Award-nominated stand-up comedian. Uh, As an actor, he's appeared on radio and TV and in various films. But these days, he is definitely best known for being an author, the author of over 30 children's books, particularly his best-selling award-winning series, The World of Norm. Now, Jonathan joins us today bearing a... NG2 postmark. What's that, Jonathan? What's that, Tom? Oh, I'll tell you what that is. It's a long <laughs> way from where I'm speaking to you uh, at the moment, but it is my spiritual home. NG2 uh, is the post uh, code of the city ground home of the Mighty Reds, aka Nottingham Forest Football Club. Uh, in oh, a really? suburb of Nottingham, actually, actually, just across Trent Bridge from Nottingham itself, in a suburb called West Bridgeford. Yes, it's the it's the postmark of my beloved. Um, I'm one of these weird people that uh, supported uh, support the uh, football uh, team from uh, you know their, their local football team and it never changed. <laughs> it and, used to be um, the rule. <laughs> yeah, 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 it, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's it's the city ground Nottingham, NG2. Yes, yes. And you used to go a lot, did you, when you were a kid? Or I did. It's it's it's. Oh, it's over 50 years since I made my debut on the terraces as a young whippersnapper. And was, <laughs> still to this date, I think the worst match I've ever been to, Forest nil, Burnley nil on a Tuesday night. But I saw the second, second match I ever went to, I was dragged there by my mum. And it was an, an, a nighttime match. And it was versus uh, West Ham. It was only a couple of years after the World Cup final. So there's Bobby Moore and Jeff Hurst and Martin Peters. But I, yeah, I was really, I was there for the, the, the glory days, the late 70s, the Clough era, the European Cup winning team and, City ground, city ground. Oh, mist rolling. This is this is this is a um, tells you exactly when it was because the the cry then and still now, Mull of Kintyre was in the charts whenever yes. that was seventy nine. Something and the like cry that. used to go if you'll excuse if you'll excuse my excruciating voice. I wasn't expecting to do this again. Sit in a sort of Nottingham accent. City ground. Oh, mist rolling in from the Trent. My <laughs> desire. I know. <laughs> Doesn't have quite the same ring to it, but I, I was there for the for the glory years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've been through right. thick and thin, mainly mainly I, thin ever since. I have to say, I can hear it now under the floodlights in a, in a midweek midweek fixture. Fantastic, atmospheric. Important question, Jonathan. Do you still send postcards? Hmm. Uh, well, one word, no. I was I've been trying to think when the last time. Well, you know, um, I could just say yes, uh, but no. I'm going to be honest. Honesty. I admire your honesty. honesty. Yeah, yeah. No, um, I, I, I was, I was in the Merchant Navy back in the day, and I was, they were a lifeline for me then. 
um, virtually the only way of, well, the postcards and the, the sort of air, airmail, aerogram, blue sort of light airmail letter things. I phoned my, I phoned my parents once. I was, I, I joined the Merchant Navy and I went, uh, my first trip to sea was um, to New Zealand. I was away for six months and I got to speak oh, to my wow. parents once. I got, I got to speak to my parents once on the telephone. It cost a fortune from the Siemens mission in Wellington in New Zealand. So no, I, 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 I hope I'm sort of balancing this out. I don't send them anymore. Although I am a lover of postcards and I collect postcards, um, but uh, I, I more than made up for that when I was when I was uh, when I was a youngster in the Merchant Navy. Very good. Now let's talk about you, Lisa. Uh, Lisa Adamchevsky trained at the Royal College of Art. Um, mm-hmm. She's had a career spanning both the commercial and the fine art worlds, uh, but recently she's been creating a distinctive art project called Hashtag A Thousand Postcards, which is a real life project where she's painting postcards with images from nature but it's also displayed on twitter so it's a sort of digital project as well um and she describes these as little messages from nature that will build up into a complete artwork now we're going to be talking a bit more about a thousand postcards later on i'm hoping now lisa you come today to us with a gu28 postmark what's that do I just? Uh, that's the Wool House in uh, sort of near Midhurst in Sussex, which mm, is sounds uh, nice. It was. It was when I we had it as a escape from city life when I was a child, and it had never been touched. So it was an ancient house. It appears in the Doomsday Book, and it had been won in a game of cards. No. Yeah, as has the house that I live in now. You're joking. Nope. I tend to buy houses that have changed hands <laughs> in games of poker. <laughs> this, this, must, this must limit your options when you go to the estate agent. <laughs> it's fine. I'm never moving again. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm here and I'm putting my roots down. But, um, yeah, the Wool House was a <clears> phenomenal <throat> place. It had no indoor bathroom, a barn full of carts with the... You know, like you see on Western movies with the yeah, cars yeah. over them and a the gypsy caravan and a swamp oh. and all the things that you want when you're a child. This sounds this sounds like a dream for wild. kids. It was. It was phenomenal. You know, you never had to have a bath. You got kind <laughs> of wiped down with an oily rag uh, or washed in the kitchen sink. And there was a pump for the water, a hand pump. No heating, just open fires. and. Really? Yeah, just strange things. Like I had a dressing up box full of um, crinolines and feather boas. It was amazing. Like even the next door neighbour had a dog that bit my worst enemy's ear off. (laughs) You're living next door to Vincent van Gogh. (laughs) (laughs) We we lived in a place called Camberwell Grove in South London. Oh, yes. And then my parents rented this house. They had a sitting tenancy on it. Um for weekends and holidays so it was like a second home i guess in the days when people didn't think of them as second home. it was our country place and our town place very good Um, uh, it was very nice it was too and that i I guess that would have fired up a bit of interest in countryside stuff for you is that right that's yeah that's very much what it where everything to do with my passion for nature started there i was a very solitary child Uh, my had elder brothers who had their own treehouse and as I tottered up to it they would pull up the um, rope ladder so that I couldn't join in <laughs> nice. and they were Chelsea supporters you know and, oh dear. Uh, yeah exactly not my cup of tea so the key question Lisa when did you last send a postcard well I send postcards all the time excellent listen to listen to this Jonathan and learn I know, and I, I know. make Sorry. them uh, so oh. I don't just mean I send postcards on Twitter for my art project, but um, I'm sending a postcard today. But I cheat because I put my postcards in an envelope so they uh. don't get stolen because I make my postcards and they often have things stuck to them and, you know, bits of jewellery that I've made out of recycled tomato paste tubes and little paintings and they can be on canvas boards or things like that so right you know i would in the past i used to send them whole without an envelope um because i love the thing of the franking marks 
that you get, you know, the post stamps mm. and the actual stamps and all that kind of stuff. But um, nowadays, too much stuff gets nicked in the post, I'm afraid. So I now put them in envelopes. I mean, the whole the whole idea of the project was that I wanted to see when I bought this place, we've got like 57 acres of land. And I wanted to see whether we had over a thousand species on it, which, of course, there is. But I wasn't sure how barren the place might be and so I thought well if I paint a postcard every day of something new and then I tweet it on Twitter gradually this will build up and I can show people what biodiversity actually means because you'll be able to walk into a room and see a thousand things that could perhaps be in a quarter of a square acre. How far into the the project are you at the moment? What number are you up to? And when you get to a thousand, do you think you may be tempted to carry on? There'll be like a huge oh no, I'll definitely vacuum in your on. life. You'll, you'll yeah, definitely no, carry I'll, on beyond. I'll I'll always carry on because I'll always be finding new things. Mm. I hope. So where are we now? What number are we up to now? Well, not being male, I haven't been really obsessing about the number, <laughs> so I actually haven't counted. Unbelievable. Uh, <laughs> roughly about seven hundred. Oh, it's wow. pretty good. Yeah. yeah, and and my long-suffering husband has been making display cabinets for them, like museum Brilliant. cabinets. Of Actually, I've seen pictures of these. They're very attractive. It's, they sit really well in there. Yeah, and so the whole thing becomes like this artwork where you see all these different species and like you would in a museum when things are extinct. So it's about... Yes showing you what biodiversity can be and that if we don't look after it one day you might only see it in a museum so my my all my work's kind of ecologically based and it's always very beautiful I hope um to draw people in but sometimes the message behind it's really quite sad Mm-hmm. But because people find it really attractive and they get drawn to it they then can't avoid the message behind it Brilliant, brilliant, so brilliant. It kind of gets it across better than doing some kind of grim, shouty painting, if you know what I mean. <laughs> right, well, look, we're going to be looking at some of Lisa's cards in a minute and actually talk a bit more about the art, how the artwork works. Um, mm. But it's been a good introduction to it. Um, and we'll see some of Jonathan's cards as well. But mm. uh, I'll give you a quick one of mine. This is like a, a postcard from the past card like I do on Twitter. So it's an old card from which I've just taken a little bit of the message. So the first card I've got here, is, it's, um, it's what we call a multi-view. Uh, so there's lots, four images of the Dorset coast. In this case, they're um, three images sort of radiating from a round swan's nest at Abbotsbury. And mm. I suppose it's meant to be a little... It's meant to imply sunshine, I think. And it's the oh, Dorset... Oh, yes. Do you see? It's yeah. sort of like a yeah. Art Deco kind of sunburst. Oh, I see that sunburst now. Design. Yeah. So, no, you've got, you got Lyme Regis, West Bay, Chesil Beach, Abbotsbury. Anyway, the message that that attracted me is... I think it's from a child, this. There's no date on it. It was, In fact, it's been sent in an envelope. Um, I don't know if it's because they thought it was quicker or because it was precious like yours, uh, Lisa. Yeah. I'm not sure. Anyway, this is... Um, chap called Marco sending it to his friend Richard and in fact he says Richard sorry I don't know your address Phil can you please pass it on to Richard so, uh, <laughs> it already has a bit of a journey before we get to the message and the bit of the message was he was saying um, there are lots of quarries here and fossils can be found which is true in that mm. part of the world. It says, yes. so far, my brother and I have found 39 and a half P and one silver spoon on our metal detector. Oh, fantastic. So I thought, brilliant. I thought you could, so obviously it's after 1970 yeah. uh, for decimalisation, but I thought, well, what a, you couldn't make up that detail of what they found. <laughs> so uh, very sweet. Uh, well, I should remind those of you listening to the podcast that images of all the cards we discussed today, uh, they're on the blog, postcardfromthepast.co.uk, so you can see we're not making any of this up. Now, Jonathan and Lisa, you've been kind enough to dig out, especially for this long-distance remote recording, some postcards of your own. So, Lisa, let's start with you. Mm-hmm. The first card you've got for us is... Is it a Samuel Palmer? Have I got that right? It is, yes. It's a Samuel Palmer. And if I'd done my art history, I'd actually know the title of it. But I've slept since then. It was a long time ago. <laughs> I think I can see it on the back. I yeah. think it's in a Shoreham garden. That's right. Yeah, it's a beautiful, what I've it's always lovely. imagined to be an, an apple tree, heavy with blossom, mm, mm. Uh, which is really lovely. And it was sent to me by a very 
special person. You know, like they say, in everybody's life, there's one teacher who makes the difference. Yeah. Yes, if you're lucky. If you're lucky. And I was a really disturbed, damaged child. I, I um, left school at 15 with two O-levels and used to do things like ring the school up and tell them there was a bomb on the premises and things like that. I was really bad um, because I was dyslexic and nobody knew about dyslexia. Uh. And I used to get caned a lot, which was oh, another no. reason why I didn't like going to school. So um, hadn't had a great time at school. And I went to um, art school. I got in on my portfolio when I was 17. And when I stayed on to do my degree... I had this tutor called John Lawrence and it was a revelation to me that someone who taught you could be so kind and supportive and I used to watch him go around the studio and it didn't matter how dreadful someone's artwork was, he would always find something in it Brilliant. to draw them out and to encourage them and to keep them going and he was an amazing teacher and... He taught me how to do wood engraving. That was his speciality. And if you look at his work up, I mean, he's an incredibly successful illustrator. And I think he might even just still be alive. He was living in Cambridge when he sent me this card. And he was just lovely. He really inspired me um, in so many ways. And I ended up going on to teach at the same college as him one day a week. And he really. This was at Camberwell, was it? Yeah, at Camberwell. And he influenced me not only in the way I worked, because I got most of my jobs as a wood engraver to start off with, but also he influenced me in the way I taught. He was just this amazing man, and he, he was very kind and, and gentle. And then after I'd finished college, he sent me this card. Um, you know, he didn't stop caring for me or looking after me as a tutor, even when his job was over. It was really charming. And I think that's why I kept the card, because he was kind. And that was quite a new experience mm. in my life. You know, mm. it's my, my, I have to say, my family was quite difficult. You know, they were very interesting parents, but, but, you know, quite damaged by the war. And they were not particularly kind. And this gentleman was really really kind and I think he taught me that that's one of the most important things that a person can be is gentle and kind but if I hadn't had him as a tutor I don't think I would have necessarily stayed doing what I did stay doing for the rest of my life really so he was that influential he was that influential and I have got rid of it you know I'm not a great hoarder of things it was a real struggle to find these things because of course we moved four years ago and a lot of stuff is in boxes Mm. and I don't have a big box of postcards I I had four postcards that I'd saved (laughs) and they were all from this period of my life and and two of them were from fellow art students sort of gay male friends of mine and they were so rude I really wanted to put them (laughs) Oh, rude meaning outrageously rude. Outrageously rude, (laughs) you know, from that pre-AIDS period. And I thought, no, I can't really... I can't really... Do you mean the messages messages. were rude, Lisa, or the actual images? Oh, the messages were... The messages were were just really naughty, a a bit in a carry-on comedy sort of way. Um, but they, well, they were very funny cards, you know, and I and I looked at them and I thought, but there isn't, you know, you'd said they, it, it needs to be a card that's got a story to it. And I thought, mm. well, there is a kind of story to it, but it's a very personal, mm. private story to do with other people. And I'm not sure if I can really talk about that publicly, but yeah. these cards I can talk about publicly. So that was one of the reasons that I chose them because the others it's were so indiscreet. I, I didn't dare. Yeah. So he was, he was just lovely. I, I, I really loved him like a kind of uncle. He was just... And that was the other thing about him as well, because a lot of the male staff at art school in the 70s were very predatory. Hmm. And he wasn't. He wasn't... Pred- he was ha- a happily married, old fashioned sort of bloke. And he wasn't at all predatory. And so you felt very safe with him. And it was, you know, it was really... He was lovely. He was truly, Brilliant. truly lovely. And, and I only hope he listens to your podcast and realises oh, how much of an effect. And it, I'm sure it wasn't just me that felt like that about him. Mm. Everybody liked this guy. And his character comes over in his work. Anyway, he was a great lover of Samuel Palmer and William Blake. And we used to bond quite a lot over that. And he opened up the library to me um, as a dyslexic. He showed me how to use the library. 
to such an extent that at a later date I went into a second-hand bookshop and I actually bought the bookshop and ended up running a <laughs> running a bookshop oh, for about seven years. Yeah, which oh took my me goodness. away from my art for a bit. But it was great. I used to do book search for people and I'd say, yes, I can find it for you as long as you spell it for me. <laughs> Gosh, where was, the, where was the book go- bookshop? It was in a village called Yoxford in Suffolk. Wow. I... I I Don't know tell me Oxford. you've been there. Yeah. I, no, the, 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 um, near uh, Southwold and uh, yeah. Alderborough. Um, yeah, well, there's, I, a, yeah. there's, a, there's a place on the corner called uh, uh, Satis House. Satis House, um, yes. Used yeah, to be a very and, good restaurant in there. Uh, uh, yeah, there, there certainly was, because the lady that ran it was Malaysian. Yes, And the reason right. I know that place so well is that... Um, I'll come to this a little bit later, actually, but um, <laughs> when my wife and I... That's the... That, that we were... My, then girlfriend and myself were having um, a weekend at Satis House, and yeah. that's the weekend when we decided to get married. We didn't get oh, married well, that weekend, but that's when we actually well, I, I decided to get there. married. I lived in Suffolk for 25 years. I ran oh, away from London. Beautiful part And of the I world. bought a Coast Guard cottage, oh. which actually, I have to admit, oh. wasn't one in a game of cards. Ah, uh, you yeah. see. Uh, yeah, it's I'm coming out now. There. I'm slipping there. But it was yeah. a Coast Guard cottage. In between Alborough and Southwold, oh, oh. and it was amazing. I lived there until uh, until we moved here. But it's a lovely, it's a beautiful story that the fact that you are dis, uh, you know a self-confessed dyslexic ended up running and buying and running a bookshop. That's there's a novel in there. If if if, if I was yes. sort of a you know and uh, if I wrote that kind of stuff. Um, or, you know, a short, a short story or a novel or a film in there it's, in itself is a beautiful. Well, story. I taught myself to spell. Uh, it was Did great. You? I bought myself a computer and I taught myself how to use it. And I bought the bookshop just as everything went online to sell books, <laughs> which was great because I, the, the bookshop, which was, this is no joke, it was the front of it was made out of a Georgian four-poster bed that had been taken apart. Good Lord. And so an it. antiques dealer friend of mine said, if you dismantled that and so, and put it back together and sold it as a restored bed which legally you're allowed to do it'd be worth more than your business wow. <laughs> which is really funny <laughs> i used to pay 350 pounds a year rent good lord for this shop um you know and i've paid a few thousand pounds for the lease it was it was you know you couldn't fail basically because the overheads were like peppercorn brilliant yeah and, and it's, got, it's quite bookish around there as well it's very lot, a lot bookish, of bookish lots of, yeah lots of people retire from cambridge to that area and um london as well and it was uh, it was fantastic. I just sat there cataloguing books and reading, and I got a, I, it was like a seven year education, where I just read my way through this bookshop, and it was brilliant. It was yeah, I met some really. I mean, I had great customers there, but the guy would come in and he'd want a fifty pence cowboy paperback, and I had <laughs> Prince Charles's Librarian. I mean, the cross section of people was fascinating, and I made some great <laughs> friends. Uh, yeah, it was a really lovely time and I could take my dog to work with me every day and when it got really boring I would just close the shop and go and have a walk on the beach at Dunwich and put a sign oh, on. oh Dunwich uh, yeah, yeah it was just lovely you know it was ideal freedom really. you, you, you were saying about um, 50p cowboy books and that's just made me think of was it there was a series of books by this guy called JT Edson does that name ring any bells rings a bell I think yes. yeah I'm not, I'm no authority on um no, uh, on those I. sort of books but there was this I, I I went to school in Melton Mowbray in Leicestershire um, oh pie and, country yeah pork pie country and hunting country mm. obviously and um, J T Edson was apparently a very very successful what do you call it the um oh, the, the really pulp sort of fiction but yes pulp fiction thank yeah. you sort of like pulp cowboy fiction, if that's a genre. Yeah. But J.T. Edson, I don't think that was his real name, um, well, he, he just used to absolutely churn these books out and was very, very... In, in, in that kind of niche field of pulp cowboy fiction. <laughs> but apparently there'll be listeners that will be nodding their heads sagely, yep. I'm sure. There are people that um, collect and, those yeah. kind of things. And he, and he lit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and he lived in Melton Mowbray. You're and joking. Could regularly, no, 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 no. Could regularly be seen wandering around Melton Mowbray in his... I thought his, you were um, going to say could regularly be seen riding into town with no. his Stetson on. Yeah, yeah, eating a pork pie. Um, <laughs> no, was it with, with his chaps and his six gun yeah. and, his, um, and, his, and his cowboy Spurs. hat. And he, he was, yeah, uh, yeah was, uh, uh, a character, a bit of a character. Uh, was he American or English? No, it was, it was from Leicestershire. 
It was first. Well, I mean, I never, to be honest, I never engaged him in conversation. I didn't you wouldn't want to. I'd know. <laughs> he shot me. It was a different time. It was the 70s. I was just, he shot me. Uh, it would have been pork pies at dawn. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, no, uh, I, I never, I never did engage him in conversation. But I, I, I believe I'm going to look him up on the internet. I, I believe he was. I, I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to stick my neck out and say he was Melton born and bred because why else? Amazing. Why else would he be living in Melton Mowbray? For goodness' sake. Yeah, well, maybe on the run. Yeah. Amazing. Exactly. Well, uh, I'm not quite sure how your card took us to all these places, Lisa. But let's we're going to we're, we're going to move on to the next one now. So, yeah. Jonathan, what's the first card landing on your doormat? Ah, well, Tom, funny you should say that because they say every picture they say every picture tells a story and in this particular I multi-view, believe you. as multi I now know to call this a multi-view postcard. Excellent. Um, this is Mora. Mora. Uh, Mora, a tiny village on the west coast of Scotland on the road to the Isles. Um, oh. nearly at the very end. Another actually another 2 or 3 miles beyond Mora and you get to the fishing port of Malig. And that is Malig, not Malaig. Um, as most people south of the border, and actually many people up here in Scotland pronounce it Malay. It is Malig. Malig. I'm no, yeah, Malig. I'm no pronunciation Nazi, but um, having spent the, the last, I don't know, 35 years visiting that part of the world, I have it on very good authority that the locals pronounce it Malig. One of those locals uh, being my wife, uh, who oh, I met in lovely. London. Who I met in London uh, in, in 1985. She wasn't my wife then, obviously. That would have been weird. But we met... In September 1985, in in the canteen at Bush House, uh, oh. BBC World Service Bush House. My, my wife was working for the for the uh, Bush, uh, for the African Service, World Service, uh, the BBC at the time. I was doing stand up. My brother uh, worked uh, in the BBC. We met. It was love first sight. Blah blah blah. blah. And um, so we met in the September. And that Christmas, um, I was invited up to the the, uh, the the family home up in uh, Mora for the first time. Now we've already we've already ascertained I was in the Merchant Navy um, when you know when I was six, from sixteen to twenty two. Um, I sailed around the world, so I was I was no stranger to the the concept of long journeys. But this particular journey was it was something else. It was it, it was it felt like I was like travelling on the Trans Siberian Express or something. I'd never <laughs> I'd never been. I'd never been up to that part of the world at all, let alone by train before. And um, it wasn't helped by the fact that um, it just took forever. And it didn't help by the fact that I had to change trains in Glasgow. And the, the train from uh, Glasgow to Fort William broke down literally just outside oh. um, Queen Street Station in Glasgow. And subsequently, this is just before Christmas 1985, and subsequently, the train was very, very delayed. So delayed, in fact, that they, they didn't, the, the, the connection from Fort William to Malik didn't hang around. We missed it. And so this is my first ever time. It was a huge thing for me to be going up, seeing my girlfriend in her, 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 her home and meeting her family, meeting her large family. And um, so we, we missed the connection in Fort William. And subsequently, um, we were those of us that were going beyond Fort William on the, on the, on the, on the, on the West Highland Line, um, as it's known, and we were bundled into this tiny, cramped little um, mini minivan, minibus. And the, the road um, the road from Fort William to Malig is, has, has, has improved considerably since those days. <laughs> In those days, it's extremely twisty, extremely <laughs> narrow road. So much so that within a, we, we'd scarcely left Fort William. And there was a kid sitting in the, uh, just in front of Sick. me, and the kid had vomited oh. everywhere. And so, yeah. on top of this, it had already been just an epic journey all the way from London up to up to uh, Fort <laughs> William. There was this this horrendous smell of vomit in this tiny, oh. sweaty <laughs> petrol fi- in this. Um, You're selling it to in, me. In, 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 <laughs> I know, I know. So we have, and I thought we were never going to get there. I mean, it's still it's still in, in those days. I mean, you can do it in about forty five minutes now from. From Fort William to um, Mali because the road has improved so much. But in those days, it was about an hour and a half, dropping, going little detours, dropping people off at all the little stations along the way where they were um, supposed to be getting off. We eventually arrived um, in Mali and um, we uh, got sort of bundled, sort of kicked out the, 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 the minibus. And my wife comes up to me, it's pitch black, and she's got this <laughs> enormous shiner of a black eye. Oh. Having been accidentally headbutted by. Um, an over 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 enthusiastic uh, local at the, uh, at the, at the local uh, Kaylee, you know, it's like you know the, the way they're sort of stripping the willow and throwing each other around. It's like oh, it's just it's just a bit of local oh fun. So she, we we met, having had this journey from hell, this vomit, you know, 
<laughs> and there's my there's my there's my beautiful girlfriend with this huge shiner. So yes, um, so yeah, and um, so we and talking about sort of being headbutted at Kaylee's. Um, if we move to the um, if we go uh, clockwise, so top right hand. Uh, image that's Mora Bay, where the River Mora comes out into the bay and goes off beyond. It's, Malig and Mora is basically, if you imagine the southern tip of Sky, it's kind of level with that. You can all look it up on your your maps mm. afterwards. But if you come come out of the bay there, where the, where the boats, I mean, it's obviously low tide there. But you squiggle around the what, the river. It's only visible at low tide. Hang a left at the bay, and you come to the most sensational beach uh, called Kamastarach. Beach. I don't want to go on about it too much because I don't want it to become too popular. But it always comes very, it always rates very highly in these most beautiful beaches in the world thing. But it's the scene of many, many happy times for myself and my girlfriend, my wife, and my, my boys. It's beautiful sand dune. It is the most sensational beaches. Absolutely. It's one of those where people go on and on and on about the, the weather up here. <laughs> I mean, seriously, when you get a when you get a gorgeous day in that in that neck of the woods, you wouldn't want to be anywhere else and, and seriously you could be forget when you're seeing the coolins of sky and right opposite the isle of uh, rum and everything and on a, on a beautiful summer's day you all right um you, you, it's not quite as warm but you you could be mistaken for thinking that you're in like a Montserrat or somewhere wow. in the caribbean it's absolutely sensational but camastaric beach talking about kaylee's in my long sort of round round the houses kind of way um movie fans amongst you uh, familiar with the the movie Lo- local hero yeah. And uh, that the Bill for Scythe movie. Well, the beach scenes are actually filmed on um, Camastaric Beach, where the beach, where the, the hut on the beach, and yes. Burt Lancaster's there and everything. So now we go down to the bottom right, uh, and you will see a church on the banks of Loch Mora, and uh, th- uh, the uh, I think it's the deepest uh, freshwater loch in Britain. Uh, it's a th- depth of about a thousand feet in the middle of the loch. Uh, home of the much cooler and much more famous Morag, uh, the monster. Uh, but also <laughs> this church um, is called St. Cumin's Church, or to give it its proper uh, Catholic uh, title, Our Lady of Perpetual... They, they, they know how to name a church. Our Lady of Perpetual Succor and St. Cumin's. And that is the very church where my girlfriend and I got married. Oh, oh a, that's really in, soppy. That's cool. yeah. I like that. I know, your life, I know, your I life on like a postcard. That. Your life is there. <laughs> well, well done. Thank, thank you for that, Jonathan. That's amazing. Oh, you're welcome. That's really lovely. One more quick one of mine now, um, without any of the emotional burden of that one. Uh, this is <laughs> yeah, this is Ilfracum, Ilfracum oh. in Devon, and it's uh, a little uh, view of the harbour. Um, this is from 1967, so a while ago now, 1967, 24th of August, since you ask. And it says, um, don't forget, this is from Mum, by the way. And Mum says, hello, Sib. Sib, I think, is her daughter, Sybil, I suppose. Sybil. And, and it says, uh, don't forget to tell Milkman to leave four pints Saturday morning, as always. I'm writing this in the Holiday Inn, listening to the organ. And very nice. Helps the meal along. So there you are. She's having a little organ playing while she had her lunch. I thought that was a rather nice image to imagine. And she's, I wonder uh, what they were playing. Some special did, digestive-related music. Well, 1967, August, I think it could be uh, psychedelic hits of the day, actually. It could be the doors or... Uh, yeah, so it was quite a shade of pale. That had a big organ love, part, didn't it? Yes, or the loving spoonful. Very good, very uh, good. My thing, my thing. I'm just going to stay completely out of this pun fest. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're listening to Podcasts from the Past, the Postcard Podcast. And my guests today are children's author Jonathan Mears and artist Lisa Adamchevsky. Now, a surprise, we've received a postcard. Uh, and the postcard we received is from Mrs. C. Wardle, uh, of Cromer in Norfolk, and the card is a picture of Cromer. And Mrs. Wardle says, I think the mystery voice is Carol Channing. Well, I'm afraid that's, uh, that's the wrong answer, Mrs. Wardle. <laughs> On with the podcast. Lisa, now, what's the second card you have for us? I think it's one of your own artworks. It is, yeah. I'm sorry, I've got the giggles after that. That's so funny. Um, it's, it's, uh, yes, it's one of my... Um, Icons. I, I started doing, uh, while I was in lockdown, um, having sort of run my hashtag 1000 postcards project for nearly two years by the time we went into lockdown. Uh, I realised that um, I wasn't going to be seeing an awful lot of humans because our little cottage is in the middle of a valley and we own the valley and there are no public footpaths through it. And... Uh, so we don't see anyone and I have had some illness in the past so I was shielding and not going anywhere at all and once a week the delivery truck would arrive with our food and so I started to realise that the birds and beasts in my garden were becoming my um, cast of characters shall we say <laughs> for friendship and I was doing the washing up one day and I've always had a real passion for bullfinches, but you never get to see mm. them much. You know, you'll see the back end of one flitting over a yeah. hedge or something. They're very yeah. shy yeah, yeah. birds. And I think um, they're like the Ray Winston of the bird world. <laughs> they're very chunky and quite gorgeous and tough looking. They're stunning. But birds. when they open their mouths, they just go... <laughs> like that. They, yeah, they, they, yeah, Absolutely. Which is very weird, actually, because in the old days in Germany, uh, woodcutters used to catch bullfinches and they'd spend the winter training them to sing all sorts of different songs. Good and Lord. then they would sell them for lots of money as caged birds. So actually, bullfinches can sing quite complicated tunes, but, you know, if left to their own Choose devices, they just go, <clears throat> like that. <laughs> anyway, so I was standing at the kitchen sink washing up and some plants had gone a bit wild by the window and grown up very tall. And I didn't have the light on in the house and I hadn't cleaned the windows because it was locked down and no one was going to come round anyway. And this bullfinch landed on one of the plants right next to the glass of the window, about, I don't know, 20 inches two foot away from my nose. And I stood very, very still and it just looked at me through the window and it was just looking in the window and mm. I didn't move so it didn't realise I was there. And it was just glorious seeing this bird. So yeah. I painted this postcard of that and it, it, the whole icon thing started really in lockdown of, you know, there's a huge art history weight of stuff about using gold in paintings in you know, iconography and if you look back through religion and if, so you know you first of all if you paint something it's like saying it's special because you're going to waste several days painting it and then if you put gold on it you're elevating it to another level so I decided to the things that were really really special would get their own gilded postcard so this mm. is five by seven gilded postcard of a one of my favourite birds, which is the mm. bullfinch, looking at me through the kitchen window on a twig as if to say, are you going to teach me a song then? 
But there's this mm. this gold, and it's gold leaf, presumably. Yes, pure gold. Yeah. It is beautiful. It really, and it does do exactly what you're saying. It, it sort of turns them into something where your appreciation of it is visible lifted and physical it's physical there it is yeah you know, it's, it's it's lifted up to so in the past people would have only done this for jesus quite and uh, now i think actually we should do this for the things that we really really care about so in the exhibition mm. with all the postcards there are two cabinets that have these icons in them of the really rare or special things so i've in fact they keep selling which is a bit annoying and i'm having to paint new ones and <laughs> so uh, orchids and we've got some very very rare butterflies here um and i'm just about to do their icons for um, i think oh, in may i've got a chance to show the postcards again because i had an exhibition of them which opened just as lockdown, the second lockdown happened. Oh. So it, it was open for two weeks and a four-month exhibition, that was it, bang, closed, which was a bit of a shame, really, because it was going quite well. But, yeah, so I'm painting some more of those. And what's happened through lockdown, as and it's been jawed on about a lot, but, you know, people have really connected with nature in a way that they haven't before. We've had skies where there have been no aeroplanes and we've had Quite. no traffic on the road so we can hear the birds singing. And suddenly people are slowing down and taking time and realising that they're part of something bigger than just their job and their home. But it's a, it's a stunning, I have to say, it's a stunning postcard yeah. and it's a stunning bird. It's one of my, all, I've, said, I've mentioned earlier, I've been a huge bird lover all my life and and I still get except we, we live very close to a, a river the water of Leith um, and we get glimpses of bullfinches down there and you're right you just generally get a very fleeting glimpse and yeah. they're, they're to this they're not very popular with fruit farmers of course well we've got lots but, of fruit trees and the thing is yeah. you just have to have enough you have, have to have yeah. enough for you and there's the enough bullfinch. to go around there you go. yes exactly yes. Don't to go. Be greedy and, it, and but, expect it all for you you know but it's, and yeah, also it's funny, if you we, have proper hedges full hmm. of blackthorn which is full mm -hmm. of bud for the birds they're not going to be eating mm. all your apple blossom because they've got no. what they need and the reason why they eat everybody's fruit buds is because they've cut all the hedges out mm. yeah yeah that's true they're actually the way that the, the, the way that the images are on my um attachment here on uh, they, your bullfinch appears to be eyeing up the blossom the apple blossom <laughs> in, uh, in, in your in your other postcard yes. but it is, it's yeah. funny yeah, but um, it's um, it's funny you should say about the the um, the song of the the, the bullfinch because it, 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 that's the two things he was. Yeah, it is. It's kind of a little bit pathetic and weedy, but c compared to other finches, I mean, you think of the beautiful song. Yeah. Of the finch, um, the goldfinch, the greenfinch is a bit. It just the greenfinch just goes. Yeah, goldfinches are lovely. They tinkle. Oh, it's a, t a tinkle, a tinkle of goldfish. Mm. But the the other thing being that um that this is this of course is the male, and the slightly dowdier female. Um, but they're, 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 they're incredibly monogamous, the bullfinches. Yeah. Where, you know, that you can absolutely guarantee that if you see, you know, where, where, where one is, you just have, there'll be a couple well, of bunches away. Well, they always come en the, famille, as we say. Yeah. So this this yeah. chap who is our resident goldfinch, a goldfinch, bullfinch, oh, he bullfinch. comes along with what I would describe as his more subtly dressed wife. Yes. Yeah, um, understated. Yeah, understated Sorry. and demure she is. Yes. And they bring sun with them. So really? in, we oh. have a wall and in front of the a typical Welsh tiny little cottage with yeah. its little front wall so the cattle can't get in the front garden, oh, which we don't have cattle, but um, the wall is full of lizards. Oh, wow. And lots of plants growing out of it for the lizards mm. to shelter from the birds so they don't get eaten. And the, and the bullfinch comes with his wife and child and they eat the seeds of the plants growing out of the mm. front wall. So you can stand and watch them and they'll sit on the gate as well. So we're very oh. quiet here. We don't have yeah. any cats. And I've got a 17-year-old mm. blind deaf poodle who I have oh. to carry around. <laughs> he's a completely, <laughs> you know, we can't put him to sleep because he's perfectly no. happy. As no. long as, you know, he's glued. We call him the limpet. As long as he's glued mm. to me, he's fine. Yeah. So he doesn't chase anything because he can't see anything. And so that as time has gone by, they've got all the creatures have become aware that they're quite safe. You know, no one's going to yes. shoot them or go at them. I'd just like to apologise to any female bullfinches listening. I didn't mean to. I, the, the female bullfinches are very, very beautiful birds in their own right. So I didn't mean to yes. diss you by 
using the adjective dowdy. Please don't dowdy. cancel me. I think it's a bit late now, Jonathan. It's a little yeah. bit late. You've, you've blotted love, that copybook, mate. By, by, by any other standard, uh, a female bullfinch is absolutely... You, we'll have to get your spokesman on to do a clarification. That's normally the way yes. these days. Yes, I can have to come yeah. to a garden gate and issue a official apology with my yes. family. Well, I, well, I have to say, I think, I think what you've done with the gold is such a... It's simple but clever idea and it, it, mm. the effect is is stunning it's really beautiful it's been incredibly popular i have got a waiting list of commissions at the moment <laughs> brilliant because everybody who loves their wildlife and things you know that all these women get in touch and they say oh my husband really likes bullfinches or he really likes this i'm thinking of getting him one of your paintings for his birthday can i commission you mm. and so i'm constantly having to repaint i mean the number of bumblebees and goldfinches i've done is just this year it's we have a bit of a joke about it really although actually oh. everyone i paint with great love and i really enjoy doing them i've just done a couple of lichen and moss studies for somebody and i'm doing a a robin looking through someone's window at the moment in their wisteria and it's all you know I'm, i try not to make it twee it's you know i'm really not no, into no, twee. No. but um yeah people are loving them and 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 it's great because, you know, in the winter, when it's especially this winter, it was really cold and damp and dark. And mm. you put these paintings in the corner of a dark room and they just glow at yes. night. Mm, and it just yes. gives you that, a, a bit like people have a little shrine. It just gives you that thing to focus on that's really beautiful and warm. And Well, that's brilliant. Look, um, you know, thank you for showing us that one, Lisa. And it also opens the door to people who want to look at your hashtag 1000 Postcards Project, yeah. which is which is really good. Now, Jonathan, you've got a final card for mm. us, which I happen to know, because we have spoken, um, brings with it its own little surprises. So um, mm. would you like to tell me about that or tell our, our listeners I about would. that? I would. I'd love to. We, we, we <laughs> go round the... We go round the UK coast in a clockwise direction or anti-clockwise. You'll still end up to the you'll still end up in the same place. I don't know, two or three hundred miles southeast of uh, Mora, the West Highlands. We come to Sutton-on-Sea. Sutton-on-Sea. Um, Sutton-on-Sea, on the Lincolnshire Riviera, the Costa del Skeggy, the Costa <laughs> del Skegness, basically um, the North Sea coast um, between the Humber and and the Wash. And it's a, this, uh, this is a, a, another place that has a great um, personal significance for me. And I suspect a lot of other kids, a lot of other children of the East Midlands um, growing up in the 60s, as I did, um, because it's where we spent uh, a good many summer holidays. I, I've already mentioned, well, with the Nottingham and Melton Mowbray, I was basically born in Nottingham, but lived most of my childhood in the Vale of Beaver. That's the, the Nottinghamshire, Leicestershire borders, the little villages. That's how I ended up going to um, school in, in Melton Mowbray. But, you know, wherever you're from in the UK, you sort of tend to gravitate to your own bit of coast. People in Lancashire will go to Blackpool and Southport. And, you know, people in London will gravitate towards um, the Kent uh, or, or, or Brighton. Well, for back in the day in the 60s, um, you know, um, foreign travel and the idea of foreign holidays, it wasn't completely unheard of, but it was, you know, it obviously wasn't all that common. Uh, and sure. for people like my, for, for families like my own, um, who are basically uh, uh, born and raised in, in the East Midlands in Nottinghamshire, Leicestershire villages, um, everybody, well, the majority of people, when you thought of going away on holiday to the seaside for two weeks at the seaside, would tend to gravitate towards the Lincolnshire coast because it was, you know, it was the, it was the closest bit of coast. Um, and in fact, being of a certain vintage, I can even one um, one particular holiday I can even remember arriving by train pulled. Uh, so the, 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 well, Sutton on Sea Station was actually I think it was um, closed in 1970 because of the Beachy Report and everything. But this is, I think this is about 1965, actually. I, I have, one of my earliest memories, actually, of arriving with my mum and my brother and our suitcases and um, Sutton-on-Sea station. Uh, and the train was actually pulled by a steam locomotive. Not, wow. not like the Harry Potter Jacobite train, not a restored, it wasn't a preservation line. A it real was a one. Regular, a regular steam service. I think I probably went up and, uh, uh, I, I, if memory serves correct, I was probably, these are the days when you'd go up and thank the driver. So I probably, probably did go along and my mum would have said, go and thank the driver, Jonathan. And <laughs> lift your school cap up. Yeah, exactly. Doffed my cap before replacing it in a suitably rakish angle. Um, but yeah, so that's one of my earliest memories. Amazing, um, as, amazing. As if going by, going by Sutton City, pulled by an actual regular 
steam locomotive. I think that was probably about 1965. Yeah. A very One of the last. Yeah, 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 it would have been. And I, 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 I distinctly remember the following year, uh, 1966, um, if you're keeping track of my increasingly rambly anecdotes, uh, because I can vividly remember uh, watching the World Cup final live from the lounge of the Bacchus Hotel, which still exists. The Bac- And if, if ever there was an inappropriately named hotel, <laughs> the Bacchus Hotel. Hotel. The average um, age of uh, Sutton on Sea residents was about 120, even back then. <laughs> but, uh, I vividly remember this. Um, I remember watching the um, the World Cup final live um, from the from the residence lounge at the Bacchus Hotel. But the particular postcard that I have in front of me, and you'll see on your screens, which we should describe I... for the listeners. I think. Yes. Okay. I'll describe it. Um, it's a uh, blue sky, a beach. Uh, beach chalets, a long line of beach chalets with enormous uh, sea defences because um, yes. uh, I think, was it 1953, there were terrible, terrible floods in, in East Anglia and Holland and all around the North Sea. Many, many people lost their lives. Um, there was terrible, debilitating floods. And subsequently, the, the, um, the, the, the sea defences were sort of um, fortified all, all, all the way along that stretch of coast. But in the foreground... Um, you will see a bunch of donkeys and yep. ponies. Yep. Um, the sort that I don't know if you, I don't know if you even get this these days in uh, seaside resorts, but certainly some back then, think, some of them, yeah, horses and ponies and donkeys um, for children uh, to be uh, to have rides between the groins between the the, the, the sea defences. And I am guessing that this picture was taken uh, not in 1966. I am going to put my detective hat on and I'm going to guess that this was taken the previous year, the year that I got, arrived by steam train. Um, that would be 1965. Um, and I'll tell you why. I can um, guess that with a certain amount of accuracy, Lisa and, and, and Tom and anybody listening, if you focus in on the postcard, you will see right in the very centre of the postcard, there's a donkey's backside pointing towards yes. it. You will see a small boy uh, with knobbly knees, uh, khaki <coughs> shorts, and a red windcheater, brown hair, uh, yes. stroking a donkey's head. Yeah. And that little boy is me. Wow. Fantastic. Fat. That That's you on me. the postcard. <laughs> that is me. Gosh, I wish I still had that mop of hair, I have to say. Uh, that, that. That's amazing. Is me, and if you could, if that donkey with its back, the the donkey in the foreground with its backside to camera, if we could um, uh, remove that particular donkey, you would see. I'm pretty sure you would see me petting and stroking a a donkey with a much darker coat, a kind of a chocolate brown coat. I can see him now. This beautiful donkey called Peter. He was my favourite. And the reason I'm in that postcard is that when um, we used to go for our fortnight holiday in Sutton on Sea. I would while away my time when I got bored with uh, paddling in the uh, maple leaf-shaped paddling pool, which still exists, given to Sutton-on-Sea by the um, uh, the people of Canada. I think it was sort of donated to Sutton-on-Sea. It would have something to do with um, the proximity of the um, Air Force bases in the war. That's how my dad ended up living in Nottingham because he was a pilot. Uh. He came over in the war uh, when he was very, very young and ended up there being a pilot in the RAF. And that's why that's that's why I'm from the East Midlands because of the, all, all the Air Force bases. But anyway, I would while away my time um, on holiday in the 60s. Um, I was a huge animal lover, uh, still am. And I would help Mr. Bucknell um lead the donkey i led the donkeys i was not led by donkeys i led the donkeys if you if you go to the right hand side of the postcard you will see a portly gentleman facing away with a, oh, with a, a dark, dark coat. jacket yes, with a dark yes. coat and a cap he was the guy who was kind of the uh, the um the, he was the guy that owned all the donkeys and the, and, and, and the ponies um the, the 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 guy on the far left in the uh in the sort of the cavalry twills the chinos and the tweed jacket are eyeing the the photographer quite suspiciously yes. who can blame him um i think he was his son but anyway i would i would i would he's got a stick the, um, i think hasn't he a little, little yeah he has got a stick a, a prodding it, stick it looks like, yeah it, it looks like he's not afraid to use it either but we would um, myself and this other little 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 group of kids we would turn up at mr bucknell's um stables uh, every morning, and we would feed the donkeys, get them prepared, put their their saddles and their bridles on, and we'd lead them down to the uh, we'd lead them down to the beach, and I would spend all day long just uh. walking from one 
of the the groins. That's the right uh, phrase, isn't it? The seat, I believe the, the, so. The, the breakwaters, breakwaters, um, uh, leading the donkeys up and down, and I was happy as Larry. And oh. I was obviously very unaware that this photograph was being um, taken. And I think it was. I think I obviously it's a very long time ago. Memories are a little bit hazy, but I am guessing. That, the, that uh, a couple of years later we would have been in Sutton-on-Sea and there was a particular shop, a news agent, the sort of news agent at quintessential seaside resorts. So you would get buckets and spades and the little flags and of windows course. and whatnot yes, outside. Yes. And there would be, and you'll be familiar with this, uh, Tom, uh, you know, like a carousel of yes. postcards. Mm. And I would be just, um, I would be off, because we were feral. It was different times. <laughs> my mum my my would be in the bar at the Bacchus Hotel at this point. And we were, I, m- myself and my brother, we'd be off. And I would have gone into this um, this um, seaside paraphernalia shop, I don't care, and you know, flicking through and looking at this postcard because I don't think I don't think it was ever drawn to my attention. I'm pretty sure that, I, like a couple of years later, I would have just been idly looking at these postcards and thinking, "Amazing, hang on." Hang on. Even then, <laughs> thinking, "Hang on," and That's and me. yeah, hence hence why I'm actually um, center centre foreground of this uh, mid-1960s postcard. And your brother's not in the picture? My brother is not on the... It might... There may be a reason for that, Lisa. If if it was 1966, my brother and my father would have actually been in Poland. My mum and I watched... Ah. My mum and I were on holiday Ah. by ourselves that year. My father had only just been allowed to start going back to Poland. Yes, yes. He left... Basically, my dad... Uh, left Poland in uh, February 1914. He wasn't even 14 years old, and he and Ooh. my grandfather escaped across Europe. There's, there's not Good long, you know, there's, there's mm. a heck of a story there. But basically, my, my grandfather ended up living in the States, uh, and my father stayed, uh, eventually uh, found his way to the UK, where he ended up uh, being in the RAF and being in East Midlands Air Force bases, meeting my mum, hence me, uh, but my dad wasn't allowed. My, my basically, my dad left his mum in February 1940 and didn't see her again for 20 years. Um, 21 me. years, by which time he'd got two boys. I was the youngest. I was just a baby when I went to Poland for the first time in the early 60s. Um, but yeah, so for, for, from 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 the time when my my father was able to visit, you know, the, the Iron Curtain and the whole restrictions lifting mm. and everything. From the time uh, when my father was allowed to, well, you're, 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 so your mother stayed. Really, your so. grand, your grandmother stayed in Poland, or my grandmother stayed in Poland. My dad and my father escaped. No, sorry, my, my 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 dad and my grandfather escaped from Poland because they were they lived in what is now part of Ukraine. My dad was uh, born in Lvov, and he yeah. lived in a place called uh, Kosov and Przemysl near the, the border. And basically, it was like Russians from one side. Nazis from the other. Let's get out of here. They were Absolutely. seen as sort of being relatively, sort of, in, in, in you know, relatively intellectual, relatively bourgeois, uh, relatively middle class. They escaped, mm. leaving my grandmother with the two younger brothers in Poland. And mm. my, my basically, my, my my grandfather ended up in the, in New Hampshire in the states, and my father ended up in the East Midlands. Uh, and he didn't see his own mum uh, for over 20 years, by which time my brother and I were, had been born. Anyway, oh. so um, from that time, my, my dad sort of made up for lost time. And he, he was an amazing father, um, an amazing son. Um, he would drive to Poland uh, like twice a year. It was kind of a big deal then, or still is, to mm. drive to Poland. Mm. But, it, but, but anyway, that's a very long-winded way of saying that it could possibly have been 1966, but uh, no, my, my brother was in Poland with my dad at that time. But I, I'm, 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 thinking, I'm thinking it's younger. I don't look... I, I look too young for 1966. But anyway, it was certainly the mid-60s. And, um, yeah. Isn't well, it amazing how it's a postcard... Amazing. An image on a postcard like that can unlock a story like that. Well, yeah. That's a massive exactly. story. And mm. in fact, so many of these cards have people in them for a bit of interest, a bit of shape. And we will never know who those people were. No. Um, except this little boy petting the darker of the donkeys, half oh, hidden by another Peter. donkey's backside. Peter the donkey. Amazing. Oh, I think that's fantastic. I'm so glad you've got it. I'm so glad that you've shared that with us, Jonathan. It's amazing. It's really, really oh, it's been a, it's fascinating. Been a, it's a, been a pleasure to be able to share it with you, Tom. <laughs> well, look, thank you very much, both of you. Um, I've said it before on this programme. I never know where the cards will send us. Um, and, and this time we've been to Camberwell, to Morra, to Sutton-on-Sea, to Pembrokeshire, to Edinburgh.
to Ilfracum, all over the place. Um, thank you for sharing them with me and with each other and with the, the podcast listeners. Uh, another quick reminder for everyone at home, there'll be images of these cards, including a young boy petting Peter the donkey, um, <laughs> and on postcardfromthepast.co.uk. And also, importantly, you'll be able to see Lisa's artwork so you get a feel for what that's about. Um, now, before we let you both uh, off the line, back to unzoom and unclean feed and take your headphones off. Um, I've got one more postcard to look at. It's kind of a custom for us to end with one of these. So if you look at the last card on your uh, information sheet, got it. you should be able yeah. to see uh, a group of people, I think. <laughs> um, now, exactly. So uh, I don't know, one of you could use your skillet description to explain ah. to the listener what we're seeing. So what, what's the image? It's an umpapa band of some kind. You've got a load of what looks like they could come from Bavaria or anywhere. There's about like 20 that. of them, aren't there? It's a lot of yeah. people. Uh, lots of women seated on the ground in sort of dirndls and men in kind of lederhosen with um, accordions and what looks like an auto harp. I think it is something like that, isn't it? Yeah, and they're all very pleased with themselves in a kind of <laughs> slightly Aryan superior way, I think, really. Yeah, well, uh, I don't and know about the Pope. The Pope is there playing the auto harp. You think that's look, the Pope? Look, it's Pope John Paul II. It does look a little bit like him, doesn't it? Oh, I was going to say, I don't have the best view of this, but I, I, is that not the Polish eagle? Or is it my? Should I have gone to Specsavers in Barnard Castle? I, it does my look, printer's is playing it, up, so it looks like there's a wine stain on mine. It could well weird. be the, but, but the emblems on their tunics. Is that not the Polish? Well, it's not. Po um, they're not Polish. Oh, um, okay. So I think it might Austrian? be a Bav an Austrian Bavarian eagle. Bavarian oh. eagle. Um, yeah. So well, um, as you see, this is actually a postcard record, a record on a postcard. Oh, That's the circle on it. I couldn't understand. I thought my printer had gone west. Exactly. Like a glass. Somebody put a beer glass. A, a tanker. <laughs> yeah. In so, um, back back oh. at Wardour Studios HQ, oh, young yes. Tom has prepared a digital file of this. And oh, if we listen amazing. very carefully, we should be able to hear what it sounds like. Amazing. This is my childhood. I spent so much. <laughs> when I wasn't at the wool house, I was out in... Bavaria at Schartner Hunting Lodge. Oh. Well, this is actually Austrian. Yes. Oh. And they're the Kitzbühler yeah. National Singers. Wow. Singing oh, on a postcard. <laughs> With Bing Crosby on accordion on the right-hand side. Yes. Oh. Well, I, I, I always say the same thing, that the quality is not bad for a piece of cardboard. <laughs> That's incredible. That's incredible. Wow. Oh, bring them back. I think I, want, I think someone I want... might be bringing them back, actually. I have seen this reference to them. I want, but they were big I in the 60s. To do those. Oh, I want to be able to make one of those. Oh, the, yodel, the yodeling has started. Not bad. I love the guy right in the very centre, where the hole in the record is. The guy in the very centre, he's got his hand kind of just cradling the hole. He's kind of... Well, I think he's like trying to push fork. push the hole onto the other guy's face as a sort of practical yeah. joke. Like, Is there a potted like a... plant in the middle of that trying to escape? Yeah, Somewhere, like a... yes. Uh, yeah, yes. like a hydrangea or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that oh, hole in the middle is possibly a portal into another dimension. Oh, God, that's just so awful. It's wonderful. That's really kitsch, isn't it? Kitzbühel. Well... Look at the expressions on their faces. Wow. <laughs> As the Kitzbühler national singers from Austria continue to rotate at exactly 45 revolutions per minute. That's it for this time on Podcast from the Past. I'd very much like to thank my first class guests for sharing the postcards from their pasts. Lisa Adamchevsky and Jonathan Mears. Thank you both. And thank you. Very welcome. Thank you for having us, Tom. And thank you for listening. Bye for now. postcards with their messages posted every day on Twitter. Do follow me at Past Postcard. And you can buy the book, Postcard from the Past, by me, Tom Jackson, 
at Amazon and all good booksellers. And if you're looking for podcast production, check out wardorstudios.co.uk. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50-80% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.